Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right. Want to greet all of you that are worshiping with us. I hate to do this at my sister's expense. But I'm really kind of glad that happened to Flora. I don't know why. Um, It says a lot about how I'm feeling this Easter. It really does. Um, We're going to spend some time with somebody on Easter that was in a faith crisis. Thomas. He was having a crisis of faith. And you know what? Why I kind of love that we're stumbling, bumbling through? Because Easter always happens in crisis. That's what Easter comes to. The old preachers used to say, you can't have a resurrection unless there's a crucifixion. And Easter comes to us. We don't come to it. I know some of you thought, hey, I've been to church for a while. I've been in person or I've been online. I, I want to go to Easter. And you dressed up and got up. But the truth is we don't go to Easter. Nobody went to Easter. Easter came to them. I was in my car a few years ago. I had spoken in Columbus, and I was, I was done speaking. I was trying to get back home, and I was in the middle of rush hour. <clears throat> wasn't that familiar with the best way to go out of Columbus. Wasn't totally trusting my GPS. And I noticed a little sign by one of the spot, stop signs that said, um, go to AM 1640 for traffic updates. So I thought, okay, maybe this will kind of say where the traffic is. So I hit the scan button on my radio on the AM, and it went past 1640. And it looped around and stopped on a religious talk show. It was a call-in show with a radio preacher, and uh, he had invited people who were hurting to call in. There was a woman named Barbara who called, and Barbara was having enormous problems. And she was sharing with him, you know, that she had struggled and um, things had happened on her career. She had lost her job. This has created great financial stress for her family as she was the leading breadwinner for the family. It had actually affected her and her uh, husband's marriage. They went to counseling. They were going to counseling. They were trying to hold things together. And they just found out that their uh, oldest daughter had been experimenting with heroin. And all of a sudden, as she is pouring out on this helpline, this radio preacher very abruptly and curtly says, Barbara, are you a believer? And Barbara said, well, you know, I don't know if I'm a believer. I mean, I used to go to church. I did call in. You know, I mean, I'm Barbara, are you a believer? Well, I'm really not sure. Barbara, if you were a believer, you'd know you're a believer. And Barbara said, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe everything I've gone through right now, maybe, uh, maybe I'm a little bit more of an agnostic. I was starting to pull for Barbara listening to this radio show. I really was. I was like, hang in there, sister. Hang in there. You're doing good. And then he said, well, Barbara, I've just written a book. Oh, here we go. He said, in the book, I have illustrated uh, absolutely 100% proof indisputable proof that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Barbara, if I send you the book 
and you read it, will you become a believer? And I was a little disappointed. Barbara threw in the towel. I wanted her to hang in there, but she threw in the towel. And she goes, okay, if you send me the book, I'll believe it. And if it is as you say it is, I'll be a believer. And I thought, I'm so glad Jesus doesn't treat us like that. I'm so glad Jesus didn't treat Thomas like that. I'm so glad he hasn't treated you and I like that the last couple years. Because I know some of you are superhuman in your faith. And you have just skated through these last two years. You've faithfully prepared your coffee before the internet with your Bible open at your side. You have had no prayers of anger or frustration with God. You, uh, you know, you've just sailed through everything that life has thrown at us. You haven't got into any political debates. You haven't watched the news. You're too holy for that. You've not raised your voice. You've not posted anything out of anger online. And I want you to know as your pastor, I 100% don't believe you. And if that's been your journey these past two years, let me be the first to confess it's not been mine. My faith has been, uh, my faith journey has been more of a bumper car than a limousine ride. And I think we're all a little banged up and a lot a little dented up. And I'm so glad as a theologian say that God never paints us in the corner to make us believe. We don't, we don't learn our way into Easter. We don't look at star charts and graphs and, and at that. Jesus didn't say, uh, whosoever understands me will be saved, but whosoever believes in me. Jesus knew we were going to have a struggle of faith. You know, in Thomas's story, you know, we've been talking about meals. We spent, if you're visiting with us, we just spent seven weeks looking at Jesus out breaking bread with people. And, 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 you know, he was at table and we went out in the community. Some of you know, you saw we were interviewing chefs and restauranteurs and learning from the community as we widened the circle. Why do they think Jesus spent so much time at table? He didn't spend time on stages pontificating. And he certainly wasn't on radio shows yelling at people about buying books. He sat at table with their pain and with their hurt. And if Barbara would have sat at table with Jesus, he would have ministered to her. He would have listened to her needs. He would have tended to her wounds because that's who he is. And, and, and I don't know what, what's happened to us. We've, 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 we've tried to sanitize this thing. You know, and I, I've been thinking about this this year. And, you know, Jesus had all these meals. And I want to preach from Luke. And that's why we included Luke 24. I want to preach from that. Because at the end of Luke's gospel, when Jesus comes back, he has meals. He finds two guys on the road to Emmaus. I preached on that last year, walking out of a mess that we didn't totally walk out of, and we're still trying to get out of it. But he went to these two disciples. They were on their way home. They had given up. Jesus was dead. They, they thought he was the Messiah. Now they're on their way home. They're walking there wondering if they can get their old jobs back. And Jesus shows up. Remember what he does? He stops, and he has a meal. He breaks bread with them. If you read that story, they say, oh, didn't our hearts burn with us when we recognized him in the breaking of the bread? And here, the first story we heard read for us today, what Flora did, was Jesus shows up to 10. There's two that are missing. Judas is not there. We know that. Thomas is absent. But Jesus shows up to the 10. They think he's a ghost. He says, look, I have flesh and bones. Ghosts don't have that. And it said, did you read it? In their joy, they were still disbelieving. So they don't get a pass. And Jesus said, do you have a piece of fish? And he had a meal. But here's the deal. Thomas missed the meal. 
How many of you have missed some things in the past two years? Weddings and funerals, maybe. You know, I had to sit in a parking lot and FaceTime as my dad went home to be with God. And my sister sent us a text yesterday. We're driving down to her house for Easter dinner since my mom passed 18 years ago. My mom was born on Christmas Sunday. She was an on-fire follower of Jesus Christ. So the holidays were big deals in the Freed family. Christmas was a big deal, and Thanksgiving was a big deal, and Easter was a big deal. And we always went to my mom's, and for 18 years, my sister and I have kept that tradition open. She takes Thanksgiving and Easter, and I take Christmas. Why I take Christmas when I preach five sermons the night before and then cook for 20 24 people. I don't know. I'm not the sharpest tool in the freed shed, but I drew the short straw. But my sister hit us yesterday and she said, so much has been taken away from us. It will be good to be at the table with you tomorrow. And I thought for two years, no Christmases, no Easter's. We snuck in one Thanksgiving and it almost became a takeout. There's a lot that's been taken from us. And that's why I, I was sitting there thinking about this brother who missed it. And he thought it missed, missed Easter. And he's having a faith meltdown. And he's one of the 12. That's one of his the intimate followers. And if he can have that kind of breakdown, so can we. And Jesus came to him where he was. And now he's calling me on a cell phone back here somewhere. Um, Somebody answer that because if it's the Lord, I want to know. Um, He might be coming to me. It's just going to keep going. That's obviously a musician's phone. Anyhow, let me see if I can wrap to it and get to the story of Thomas. He was a fallen disciple. Thank you, Flora. Um, Oh, there we went. I was going to start dancing. That would have been painful. Um, Where was I? Yes. Thomas, in the middle of a faith crisis, in the middle of a meltdown, one of the 12. And Jesus comes. Jesus comes to him right where he is. And I'm thinking that if we can, if we can see Thomas, who gets a bad rap? They call him what? You, you've heard him, Doubting Thomas, right? And, you know, Jesus does, he disciplines a little bit. He corrects them. He corrects me all the time. But look how gracious God is. Jesus goes, Thomas, are you, are you only believing because you can put your hand on my side and, and see my wounds? He said, you know, there are people who believe that I haven't seen. But guess what, Thomas? Come here and get right what you need. See, there's way more grace in God than there's ever sin in us. And he demonstrates that. And he's not upset at Thomas's meltdown. And Thomas isn't doubting Thomas. Thomas has wounded Thomas. He loved Jesus as much as anybody else. I mean, have you ever been, a, have you ever gone through some really significant grief? Grief just paralyzes you, doesn't it? Grief arrests you in your tracks. I don't know why Thomas wasn't there for the meal, but maybe he was pacing the floor. Maybe he couldn't sleep. Maybe he was, maybe he was laying on the fetal position, weeping. Missing his friend. This is a wounded person on that first Easter. And Jesus comes to him. And he comes to faith. He comes back to belief. Because this is what it's about, folks. We're in a fight for our faith. That's what we've been wrestling with during all this time. You know, Paul understood that. Paul was a Pharisee. He thought he got to God by following all the rules, right? If I just follow the Bible, if I just follow the Ten Commandments, if I do all these things, I could be mean-spirited on Monday. But if I'm just there on Sunday, then God will bless me. God will love me. God will take me to heaven. And he found out none of that works. That it's only by faith that we're saved in God alone. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. It is our currency that we 
we spend to connect with God. And that's why Paul said at the end of his life that all of the sermons he preached and all the biblical verses he read and all the things he tried to do as a leader of the law didn't matter. But what mattered was he fought the good fight, he finished the race, and he kept his faith. There's a battle for your faith, friend, and that's what the enemy's after. Some people say, the devil wants to kill me. Believe me, he wants to kill you. Then God just raises you. What he wants to do is rob you of your faith. Because if you lose faith, then you lose hope. And if you lose hope, you lose life. And Jesus said this in the upper room. (laughs) Do you remember he talked to Peter? He's always talking to the other disciples through Peter. Because Peter's the only one dumb enough to actually say out loud what everybody's thinking. Jesus, even though I may have to die with you, I will never deny you. Come here, Peter. (laughs) Jesus said, do you remember what he said? He said, Simon Satan, Satan wants you. He's after you. He wants to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not feel, fail. Do you notice Jesus didn't say, I didn't pray that you would not fail. I know you're going to fail. You're going to fail me three times before the cock crows in the morning. But I'm praying for your faith. I'm praying that when you turn back and when you regain your faith, then then you can strengthen your brothers and sisters just like Thomas over here who's hurting. That's Easter, guys. And so I want to look quickly, i got to hurry, but the, the things that happens to Thomas to bring him back to faith, and I think that all of us, when our faith gets nicked, and we need Easter to resurrect us and breathe new life into us, these four things might help us. The first thing that Thomas did is he listened to the eyewitnesses. See, his, the other ten had seen Jesus. And it wasn't enough for him. He was mad about, but they kept telling him, if you read the Greek there, it's the progressive future intensive Greek. It says that they kept telling him and telling him and telling him, telling him. Like they didn't just say, we've seen Jesus. They said, we've seen Jesus. He is alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And Thomas heard that testimony. And and for one moment, this one apostle got the Easter message the way we do. See, the word apostle means one who has literally seen Jesus raised from the dead. And there were only a certain number of apostles. And that's why the foundation of the church was the apostles' teaching. And Thomas was an apostle, so he did see Jesus raised from the dead. But for a minute, he only saw Jesus the way we see Jesus raised from the dead, through the testimony of the eyewitnesses, through those who saw him. And there's so much study that's been done on the scriptures these days that say these are not historical documents. These are not, uh, you know, they're not biographies. They're eyewitness testimony. Their testimony from people, uh, you know, not, not great biblical scholars. In fact, at one point, people saw Peter and John preaching and realized that they were ordinary and, and uneducated men. But they saw the boldness of their preaching and they knew they had been with Jesus. And Peter, in his very first sermon, this is Peter, who couldn't even confess Christ in the middle of the night to one person. And you know he was cussing up a storm just so they thought he wasn't one of them. Yo, I I don't, Jesus who? And after Jesus comes to him in the resurrection, he is out preaching the gospel at Pentecost. And look what he said. This man, Jesus, was handed over, put to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep him. God has raised Jesus to life. And what? And we are all witnesses of it. And time and time again, when you read the New Testament, they are giving eyewitness testimony. 
In fact, Mark, I think in Mark 16, he talks about Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus. And he mentioned there was Simon of Cyrene and he said the father of Alexander and Rufus. Why does he add that? Because Alexander and Rufus were still alive. And he said, go talk to them. In fact, the next slide we have is Romans 16, where Paul wrote the Romans letter. And what does he do? He greets Rufus, who's a leader in the church. See, these are hidden in there throughout that they're saying, go and speak to the eyewitnesses. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I, I, you know, that I, I shared with you, I passed on to you what was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, and to the twelve after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time which is pretty hard to fake and what does he say most of whom are still living do you hear what Paul's saying go and talk to them they'll speak to the eyewitnesses we need to listen to the eyewitnesses who gave their account I read this week that there's 4200 religions in the world right now but only one empty tomb and there were eyewitnesses to that story so that was the first thing that brought Thomas in. We need to listen to the eyewitnesses. The second thing is we need to understand what Thomas encountered is a God who's reaching out to find you. That's what Easter's about. We don't go and find God. I shared that last week talking about Zacchaeus. We don't find God. God finds us. God, you know, all, every religious founder said, hey, I'm here to show you the way to God. Follow my teaching. And Jesus said, no, I'm here as God. Come to find you. Follow me. And he comes to us that way. He, 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 you know, so many people I talk to say, well, I'm desperately trying to find God. You know, why is God playing so hard to get? And I would say, you wouldn't even be looking for God if he hadn't already begun the search inside of you. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And Thomas, here's Thomas. Thomas in the middle of a faith crisis. Thomas, you know, uttering, saying, stamping his feet and saying, unless I see this, unless he does that. He has so many conditions that he's putting on his faith. Thing, unless I see this, I won't believe. And Jesus shows up. I almost fell apart when I was writing that this week. Because it's one thing that Jesus came for the ten. But it's another thing that he came back for the one. And the one who was denying, the one who was in, in crisis mode, the one who, who, was, who was, you know, having a meltdown, the one who was in a tirade. And I want to tell you my testimony. I've been that one. When everybody else threw up their hands and said, you're not going to get through to chip, Jesus came to me. And he didn't come to me. He didn't show up because my faith was strong or my life was good or I was so moral. He showed up in my life because he is merciful. And when we melt down, God can handle it. And when we have our tirades and I, I ran from God and I had my own vision of how to run my life, he would not quit. And he'll always come back for the one. And if that one is you this Easter, if you're a little broken up inside, if you're not sure I can give a hallelujah, just hang in there because it may be right through this message, he's come there for you. This may not be a message for everybody, but it may be one for somebody. And you know who you are. And guess what? I'm your brother. Because <laughs> it's for me. Jesus shows up at a table for one. And ministers to Thomas. Do you know that, that God can handle your ambiguity? God can handle your indecisiveness. God can handle your anger and your anxiety. Just, just come to him. 
come to the table. He can take it. You don't have to dress it up. You don't have to cover it up with religious niceties. He can handle it. If he could handle Thomas, he can handle you. And so he, he shows up. He, he comes. And, and I love what he said to Thomas. Thomas has been saying, unless I put my hand in his side and touch the wounds, I won't believe in him. And Jesus shows up out of nowhere and says, hey, Thomas, put your hand in my side. What do you think Thomas was saying? How did he know I said that? Because Thomas discovered he's been here all the time. He's been listening to me. He's been right at the end of my elbow. And that's what happens so many times in your life. When you look back over your shoulder and you see how your life has been arranged and you go like C.S. Lewis did, oh, so it's been you there all along. Right? He shows up with us. And what we have to, what we, the next step we understand, what really melted Thomas's heart was he all of a sudden realized and recognized the power of his wounds. Jesus showed up to come and get Thomas in the middle of his crises, but then he showed him his wounds. Now, this blew my computer this week because I got to thinking, what leader in the world did this? I know lead, I've been watching world leaders. We've been watching the Asante all over the world, and world leaders will always be glad to show you their crowns. They, they want to show you their military might. They want to show you their credentials. I've had the privilege to hang out at the home of some really well-known athletes through my interaction with some of my friends who played in the NBA and the NFL, and they'll always show you their trophy room. See, leaders will show you their trophies and they'll show you their, their testimonials, but Jesus is the only leader that will walk into your hurt and your pain and show you his wounds. And say, this is how far I go for you. I know you're wounded, Thomas, but I am the wounded one. I am the wounded healer. I have taken all the wounds that the world could possibly give you. And I've defeated the only enemy that ever is going to matter. And there was something about Thomas seeing that that broke his heart. I mean, I don't know about you, but I got to thinking this week. What in the world is Jesus doing with wounds? It's a resurrected body. If you read your New Testament... We're going to get resurrected bodies. I don't know about you. When I get mine, I want to be 30 pounds lighter. I want to have my green eyes back. They've gotten dusty in my old age. I want my nose to be about half the size. I mean, we're getting perfect bodies, man. What is Jesus doing with a broken body? Why does his resurrected body still have his wounds? Because Jesus is showing us there's no end for my love for you. See, Thomas thought he needed to see the wounds to prove that Jesus was alive, but they weren't evidence that Jesus was alive. They were evidence of how deeply Thomas was loved. And there is no biblical statement that Thomas ever touched his wounds. I know we've been taught that in Sunday school. I know all the great painters said it, but all it said was Jesus says, come here, Thomas. See, put your hand on my side. And all we have is Thomas said, my Lord and my God. There was something about just seeing the power of his love on 3D display for him that melted Thomas's heart. And it should melt your heart too. I talked to a chaplain years ago. He worked at a, um, a juvenile detention facility in California during an area where it was highly young people in gangs. And there was a young boy in a gang, and this chaplain was working to bring these kids to Christ. And one day this kid came to him. He had been terribly abused by his father, and, and the only place he found love and acceptance was in this gang. He was 15 years old. He was sentenced to three or four years. And he went to the chaplain and said, I want to be baptized. 
He had been terribly abused by his father. And the chaplain said, what led you to do this? He said, my mother. She has never quit praying for me. She has never quit believing in me. And a baptism service came. The chaplain said, is your mother here? He said, yeah, she's sitting right over there. She comes to see me every week. And he said, do you know how many buses that woman takes to come and see me? Seven. She takes seven buses every week. And that's what melted Thomas's heart. Because he saw that Jesus didn't just take seven buses. He left heaven. He left the throne room of God. He left perfect unity with the Father. The Bible says in Philippians that he did not view equality with God as something to be exalted, but humbled himself and took on the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And so God has highly exalted him that at the name of Jesus now every knee shall bow above the earth and under the earth and in the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord that's what fell on Thomas's heart he didn't see a mom just willing to take seven buses he saw a God willing to leave heaven and to come and to bear his sin and die for him and that's the power friends that's the power of Jesus showing us his wounds it tells us that our wounds are not terminal see we go to God in our woundedness right and even though God comes to us, it still hurts. But the beautiful thing is when Jesus showed us his wounds, he doesn't just say that, look, someday you're going to get consolation and comfort for everything been through. He says someday those things are going to be redeemed and they're going to be changed and, and, and they're going to be transformed. So that Paul used to say our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The best move, uh, you know, statement of this I've ever seen was in you know, Tolkien's trilogy, which you know Tolkien wrote the Fellowship of the Ring and in The Return of the King, the final one, Tolkien was a Christian. This story was all about Christ. And at the very end, after the battle of good and evil, do you remember? Sam, one of the hobbits, he looks up at Gandalf and he says, Gandalf, are you alive? I thought you were dead. He said, I thought I was dead. And then he said, is everything sad? becoming untrue that's Easter the sad things become untrue and Sam asked Gandalf what happened in the world and listen to these words as only Tolkien could write him he's Gandalf says a great shadow has departed and then Gandalf laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land and as Sam listened the thought came to him that he had not heard laughter the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without end. See, Easter brings the laughter back. We've been missing some laughter. We've been missing some joy. We've seen hatefulness. We've seen, you know, the the horror of what's happening in our world. But one day that darkness disappears because of Easter. It comes back to us and the shadows are gone and the and the joy and the grace and the love fill our hearts once again. The best illustration I can give you of this was one of my mentors, Dr. Gerald Mann. He's gone home to be with glory. He pastored a very large church in Austin, Texas. I was one of his understudies. And Dr. Mann had one pebble in his heart. His oldest daughter, uh, Cindy, had been born deaf. 
his wife Lois, they, she contracted measles when she was pregnant. And Cindy had never heard it in her life. And this was way back. This was back in the 50s or 40s. And there wasn't a lot of good care in that day and age. And on a pastor's salary in Texas, he had to try to send his daughter to a school that could help her clear out in Boston. And, and Cindy fell into drugs. And Cindy fell into difficulty in her life. And Cindy ended up having a daughter herself that Dr. Mann and his wife had to sue to have custody for. And he grieved over his oldest daughter. And I remember toward the end of his life, he was racked his body with Parkinson's. I went and preached for him toward the end there. And somebody said to Dr. Mann, what is heaven going to be like for you? He said, heaven for me will be the look on my daughter Cindy's face the first time she hears the angels sing. See, all the sad things become untrue in the light of the Easter message. So what do we do? What's the final thing we do? We listen to the eyewitnesses. We find the God who's looking to find us. And and we think about the power of his wounds, what that means for us. And then Thomas did one last thing. He dropped his conditions. He had all those conditions, right? I won't believe until I've touched a hand. No, he dropped them. All of us come to Jesus with conditions. I'm going to tell you that. I I really have not met anybody that came to Jesus for Jesus. People come to Jesus for help. They come to Jesus for meaning. They come for, we all have some kind of conditions. But when we see this, this one who gives his life for us, who loves us unconditionally, who it isn't the, 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 you know, the level of Thomas's faith that determines Jesus's love, when we see him looking us through and through, seeing us all the way down to the bottom and loving us to the skies, and he loved us unconditionally, it should cause us to drop our conditions for him. There was a great movie back in 1991. I'm older than most of you. Um, it was called The Fisher King. Anybody remember that one? Uh, it was with Robin Williams. I really miss Robin Williams. Um, and uh, Jeff Bridges. And there was this woman um, that played a role in that part. Um, she was I'm trying to remember her, her name. Amanda Plummer. She played the part. And she was this woman, and she was very klutzy, and she was very clumsy, and she was very socially awkward, and she was always getting into kind of calamities, and she didn't have any friends. And Robin Williams was a homeless guy, and he, he saw her, and he fell in love with her. And, and so Jeff Bridges helps clean him up so he can go take her out on a date. And so they go on this date, and they have a wonderful, wonderful time. But at the end of the date, um, the woman looks at Robin Williams, Amanda Plummer looks, and she says, okay, now I never want to see you again. Because we had too good of a time, and when you find out who I really am, I know you're not going to like me, and I can't handle that disappointment again. And Robin Williams says, in a paraphrase, he says, I know everything about you. I follow you around. I've seen you be clumsy. I've seen you fall down. I know you don't have any friends. I've seen everything there is to see about you, and I love you. And she goes up to him and touches his face and goes, are you real? And there's one that did that for us who's really, really real. And he wasn't the Fisher King. He was the King of Kings. And he came in the world to love us unconditionally and take on the wounds for us and to bring us to salvation. So if you're in a faith crisis, don't worry. Jesus can handle it. If you're struggling in some way, hook up with Thomas. Do the things that he did and discover the God that's looking for you. Let me close with a quick story. 
I hadn't thought about this for years. Uh, when I graduated from seminary, there was a woman, a classmate of mine, her name was Heidi, and uh, we stayed in touch. She was a Lutheran pastor. Uh, both of us, when we left seminary, uh, we left the cloister towers of Princeton. We ended up in very low income, high crime, urban locations. I was in Lorraine County, and Heidi ended up at this tiny little church, 40 people or so, in the poorest area of the Bronx. And so we would stay in touch with us for a few years and just share horror stories and notes. And, and I said, well, Heidi, tell me about who's coming to your church. I mean, I went to one of 32. She went to one with 40. Um, and both of us turned them around. But she said, well, she's the people in my church. He said, well, uh, we have undocumented workers. We have former heroin and cocaine addicts. And uh, we have women who have worked their way out of prostitution. And that's just my officer board of leaders. Um, and I was like, oh, wow. So I shared notes with her after her first Easter. Her first Easter, she said, we started saying, hey, I know we don't have two sticks to rub together, but we've got the grace and the love and the forgiveness and the power of Jesus Christ. How can we share that in our neighborhood that's so depressed? And she gave the people ideas, and lo and behold, what they wanted to do, they said, Easter Sunday, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and have a Palm Sunday parade in the community. We're going to march around the tenant buildings and the Section 8 housing, and we'll all have palm branches. We know this guy who owns a donkey. We'll get the donkey. They got a homeless guy in the church to play the part of Jesus. He had a ball riding that donkey around. And they were walking around with palm branches and they said, we're going to go through the neighborhoods and all this. And then we'll end up back at the church. And when the people come to the church, we'll just present the Easter story. We won't do a lot of preaching in that, but we'll, we'll dramatize the story and the trial of Jesus and, and the crucifixion and the burial and uh, the resurrection. And she said, we did that. We went out and tenants started to come out and they're following us around and we give them palms and we're marching around and we came back around this very busy area in the Bronx going back to the church. And as we were marching back with now these people following us, there was a political rally that impromptu had developed. There had been a situation of police brutality in the community and now there was a protest and the Palm Sunday Easter parade and the protest of injustice parade were headed right for one another. And Heidi said all of a sudden the crowds became mixed together. And we were right in front of the church. So as our folk turned into going to the church, everybody came in with us. And on Easter Sunday, we've got activists and policemen and people who were with signs protesting in the street and folks who had palm branches and they're just happy to be there. He said, I, I didn't know, she said, Chip, I didn't know if a riot was going to break out. And she said, my folk are just raising palm branches. They'd never seen 300 people in their church in their entire lives. They're happier than all can get out. And she said it was very tense and they didn't know what to do. And so the, her feet, people just started to show the passion. And they showed Jesus, right? Being convicted in a kangaroo court with false witnesses. And Heidi said there were some of the young men of color in the back of the building. And they said, yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. And then Jesus unjustly accused and sentenced to a capital punishment to death. And some of the people going, yeah, that's about right. And then taken down from that cross and put into the grave. And it got dark in that church and it got very, very quiet. And then the lights came back up. And the three women ran to the tomb. And they came back, the undocumented worker, the former cocaine addict, and the woman who was a former prostitute, very well known in the community, by the way. And they came back with tears streaming. And they only had one line. 
each of them were supposed to say. And then Heidi said, the way it was supposed to go, they were going to give their one lines. And we had like a 14-year-old kid with a trumpet that was going to blow, Christ the Lord is risen today. And she said, I just want to get the heck out of there. And I was hoping it went off without blowing up. And she said, this woman came up and they said they're lying. One of them was crying and said, he's alive. I know he's alive. He's alive in me. And the next one got up and said, he's alive. I know he's alive. He's alive in me. And then the final one in broken English and Spanish all mixed together said, he's alive. I know he's alive. He's alive in me. And she said, the 14-year-old just started to list the trumpet up when one of the activists in the back of the building stood up and said, he's alive. I know he's alive. He's alive in me. And then one of the policemen up front got up and looked back and said, he's alive. I know he's alive. He's alive in me. And then Heidi said to me for the next 22 minutes, 300 people individually, one by one, with tears in their eyes, confessed, he's alive. I know he's alive. He's alive in me. She said, Chip, right in the middle of this mess, Easter came. That's what happened for Thomas. Right in the middle of his mess, right in the situation of his brokenness, right at a place where he was sure he was never going to see his friend again, Easter came, and if it came for him, and it came in that church in the Bronx with 300 people who had never met one another before, but decided not to be at one another's throats, but to be at his feet and say, he's alive. I know he's alive. He's alive in me. I hope that message of Easter can penetrate your heart and bring new life to your faith. Simon, Satan's after you, but I've prayed for you. And that's enough. Let's pray together. God, thank you for coming to us in desperate places. Thank you for walking into the room and coming back just for the one. God, you can take it when we're struggling, when we're uncertain. You can take everything that we have to dish out, but you continue to come to us in Easter. You're alive. I know you're alive, Lord, because you're alive in me. I pray in each and every one of us, come Holy Spirit, will give us that sense of your presence continuing to even when we give up on ourselves, you simply won't give up on us. We thank you for Easter, Lord. Boy, do we really need it. And so we pray and give you thanks and praise in the strong name of Jesus. And let all God's people say, amen.